the word Christian, when applied to anything other than a human being, is a marketing term. It, it doesn't mean anything. And, and it's not that marketing terms are bad or that they're not helpful. They are helpful. They're very helpful. Because what they do is they help us to find our way to what we wish to consume in culture, marketing terms. They put little signs on things so we can find our way to what we're looking for. That's not a problem. The problem comes the way that most people use the term Christian when applied to things other than people. It tends to mean of all the things, this thing is right, true, good, beautiful, vetted for your spiritual nourishment, whatever it is. The idea being come into our Christian, I'm using air quotes, bookstore and consume at will. Just leave your discernment at the door because everything in here is right, true, good, beautiful. It's it's at least more right, the, the presumption, the unspoken pr promises, it's at least more right or more good or true or beautiful than all that. Now I'm using air quotes, quotes again, secular stuff that's out there. So you should consume this instead. I'm glad you're here. It's a new week. Another episode of the Can I Say This at Church podcast. I am Seth, your host. I'm just telling you right now, I have never been more thrilled with the iTunes reviews, with the interaction and engagement online. Some of y'all are entirely too funny and more snarky, if, if that's possible, than myself. And, and I applaud that and I appreciate that. So thank you for that. To those that are liking the show, even 1%. Please consider going to Patreon and support the show. I have so many more plans for this year and for the years to come. None of those plans will pay for themselves. And so if, if you feel led at all or convinced at all that this hour that you dedicate to each week or so is worth $1 a month, please consider doing that. You'll find that link at www.patreon.com slash can I say this at church or at the website can I say this at church.com. Today's guest is a favorite of mine and I'll be honest, I tried not to fan out too much while I was talking to him. So I I got to talk with uh, one of my musical musical heroes, Derek Webb. That name may not be familiar to all of you, but I can promise you Derek will be. So Derek has sold millions of albums. He it was one of the founding members of the the Christian rock band Cademan's Call. He quite frequently ruffles many feathers, and he is one of the most honest artists that is, I think, currently making music, especially when dealing with personal struggles and faith and deconstruction and reconstruction and God and marriage and children and everything. And so his music is both a blessing and a curse to my life. And so I very much enjoyed being able to talk with him a bit about grief and doubt and angst and church and just everything else in between. I think that you'll love it. I know I loved it. Let's get into it. Derek, thank you so much for joining the, the Can I Say This at Church podcast. And, and as I prepared for talking with you, uh, as I just alluded to a minute ago, I'm going to try my best not to become just a, a fan talking to someone that they looked up to for, for a while. If I do my job right, it, 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 it's not going to be possible. I'm not going to allow for it. Like, well, like I, I will <laughs> remedy that. I will say, every album, you and I get divorced, and then the longer I sit in it, um, the, more, the, more that, the more that I'm like, you know what? He is, you're my Ezekiel. You're my prophet. Oh, <laughs> so. oh man. Well, I really appreciate you sticking with me. I, I don't always make it easy. So Yeah, well, faith's not easy, and music shouldn't be either. I want to know, talk to me a bit about just fingers crossed. It's And, and for those listening, if it came out in 2017, late 2017. Um, Derek, it's, it's an entirely different album, uh, and I think it, it'll inform a lot of the conversation as we go through today. Yeah. Kind of just tell me, what does that record actually mean? Like, what are you trying to accomplish here? Yeah, well, well, that's actually a simpler question than you might than you might realize. I mean, because w the only thing I'm ever trying to accomplish on records is to look at the world and describe it. I kind of feel like that's the job description of an artist, of any artist, um, is to look at the world and tell us what you see. That's the job, and so that's really the only like 
as I've looked back on old records and stuff, like I don't, I don't have anything. I'm any mission. I don't, I've never really felt like I've had some agenda or something I've been trying to accomplish so much as to, as honestly and vulnerably as I can to look at the world, describe it for people. And so that's what I was trying to do. And, um, it took me, the record took me, it was not the longest break I've ever taken between records, but it was at least a tie for the longest break I've ever taken between records. And it was the longest break I've ever taken between records where I was not playing music and touring. And I mean, I took a real break. I took a, a pretty hard break, you know, um, about four years ago. And so this was like the first, the first record back after a pretty long time. And, and I, and part of my hangup was, and maybe this is getting around to a, a, a more reasonable answer actually now that I think about it, but you know, my hangup for a long time was that I just wasn't sure how to describe the world that I was seeing. Um, I wasn't sure how to do it. And I got a little bit of a, a block trying to figure out how to describe the world as I saw it. And, and really honestly having mixed feelings about whether or not anybody would be interested in hearing about the world as I described it, because I had, I'd had a, you know, I'd had a hard couple of years. I went through a divorce. I, you know, so, and and I think there were probably some 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 disappointment, maybe some complicated feelings, and so I wasn't really sure how to reapproach it at all. And for for a, there was a hot minute there where, that I wasn't sure if I would make another record. I mean, you know, I I I, I mean, I, I'm an adult now. I'm not a you know a 20 year old kid like I was in Cademan's. Like I'm, you know, and I and I have other. It's you know, touring and making records isn't the only thing I do. It's it's the thing from which everything else I do comes. That's for sure. Cause all my other work is music related. Um, you know, I started noise trade and ran that business for some years that, and we sold it a few years ago and I have a few other kind of ancillary businesses, all music related, uh, mostly music related. So it's like, I, I'm, I'm, I stay busy and I do other things. And, but, um, and so I, th I wasn't sure I would even make another record. I wasn't sure I could, that I, that it made sense. And, but what finally, got me unstuck was when I realized that going through what I had gone through, um, and primarily I'm talking about my divorce and, and also mm -hmm. kind of a, uh, a hard season of spiritual deconstruction, um, like really, you know, um, taking into account and taking some inventory of some things and kind of deciding what rang true to me, uh, and what didn't. And, just kind of starting to just kind of pulling at the thread to see where it, where it went. I felt like it was important for me to do that. I think it's important for anybody to do that and not to fully deconstruct, but to pull the thread. Uh, don't be afraid of, uh, following your fears or your doubts ever. And, um, cause either there's something true and real behind it that can withstand all the thread pulling you do, or there's not, and you should know either way. And so as I was doing that and looking for music, looking for, comfort and accompaniment and soundtrack there was just hardly any like there was just really hardly any music about those seasons about about vertical horizontal divorce there was there were hardly any records about about and i was really looking and, and i found a few and I've, I've got a buddy named dave bazan who was in a band called Pater the lion and his music's always been very comforting for the uh for the vertical the vertical uh divorce he, that he he's written pretty faithfully about that and and has some very you know, um, thoughtful and very loving, I think, um, uh, soundtrack provided for that. The other, the horizontal side, I wasn't, I only found a few records that I, and I wasn't really connecting too much. And so the point I'm trying to make is I realized, you know, the reason I should go through with this and push through and figure out how to make this record, how to write and record this record is difficult as it was at the time is because there are people like me who are now have, or someday will go looking for soundtrack when they are going through something really hard in order to know that they're not alone. And they're going to have as hard a time finding it as I'm having. And my creative MO tends to be what I need and can't find I make. And so, um, that's always been how I've navigated my creative life. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. If, if only for the people again, who, who are, who need, who are going to need it. Um, I mean, like I've always said, I don't make music for everybody. I'm just not that kind of artist. In fact, I hardly make music for anybody. I mean, like my music's hardly for anybody. 
And the, but the <laughs> few is, people it's what does for that say about me. <laughs> well, that means we, that means we, there's there's resonance in our stories. That means we've got something in common to where you and I have a connection, and that's why we're here. But like my music isn't for it's only for people who have some deep resonance with my story. I mean that, and that's what I figured out over many years. Either a, a a resonance with my my wiring and the way that I think, or the way that I the questions that I ask, not necessarily my conclusions, but or my literal story. I don't know. And um, uh, but the but the people who who it is for, it's really for. And I also don't make music for all the time. I make music for hardly any of the time. Like I'm not. I don't make records you typically just put on to dance to. Like I I make records that you need in desperate moments or in particular in peculiar moments. But again, during those moments it can be a real bullseye. And so I just thought, you know what, I, I need to do this for people. I need to go through with it. I need to go through the exercise of it in order that people who wind up in situations like I have and go looking for soundtrack and can't find it, that there's at least one more record out there. And yeah. that's honestly the thing that eventually, so maybe that's what I hoped to accomplish. Maybe that's what the record is ultimately about is an effort for people who are going through hard things to not feel alone. Yeah. I think maybe. No, I, yeah, I agree, and I think that there are, Derek. I think there are more of those people than you would, um, than you would, than you would think, because uh, I see the numbers and the countries and uh-huh. the demographics for this show, and that's pretty much all that I do is well, that, and that, and, dude, ask I think those questions. Maybe, so yeah, and I, um, and I think you may be right. I mean, I think any time that we find a, I, any time I run into a, a moment like that, I always think, well, you know, if this is a solution. For me, it's probably there are probably more people than I realize who are like me looking for this and not finding it. I mean, that that's honestly and I don't, I don't want to derail us into business talk. But mm-hmm. um, but, you know, that's why I started Noise Trade is because in 2006 or whatever it was, I was looking for a way to give music away for free for data. I was looking for a way to, you know, to to connect with my fans and get emails and zip codes. And uh, and I, and and there was no platform for me to do that. So we me and some friends made it. So it's like. But what I realized is if that's a need that I have, I'm probably not the only one. And I pro- and and, um, and so that's why, like, you should always be primarily listening to your gut, you know, and uh, and 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 I think that's what brought this record out. I think, you know, so ultimately that's that's my you know, that's got to be my answer. Yeah, I've got a I have a handful of albums that sometimes if I want to listen to them and, and do it right and and I would count your uh, fingers crossed amongst that, but there's a few Uh-oh. others like um, Ghost Upon the Earth from Gunger, and yeah, okay. and um, the North Star from from Remedy Drive. I don't know if you've heard their I, most I, recent. I don't know that record, but I know those guys, and I know th- I know their reputation, and I know that oh, they're man. pretty. It is. I I actually had the privilege to talk to David a few days ago. Um, I have no idea when this will air, but a few days ago, and and he was like, no, I I didn't see any. He said very similar. Like I didn't see any songs about people talking about. Well, if you call yourself a Jesus, all I see is your self-righteous apathy and you're making a whore of the entire you know, that I'm not a commodity and neither is this and sex yeah. trafficking is a real thing and So he's processing a lot of those complicated things yeah, as well. But it's a, yeah. it's an album that you can't just turn on the radio, have my 8 or 9 right. year old in the back and right. listen to it and be like, "No, we're good." We're good. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my kids don't listen to my records. My kids are nine and ten. It's just because it's, it's not appropriate for them. I mean, right. it's adult music. It's adult themes. It's it's why we don't watch PG thirteen movies. Well, yet. well, you know, to be honest, the Bible's mostly adult themes. It just gets dumb. yes, it, it is, just actually. gets dumbed down. <laughs> so, and fascinatingly, um, I don't put them behind the counter. It's cr- it's fascinating to me that they sell them right on the shelf where any kid or anybody can grab one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always thought that was fascinating. <laughs> Do, yeah. Do you? Would you still call yourself? Uh, a Christian or a Christian artist? Well, here's the complicated thing about that is I've never called myself a Christian artist. Um, I've always what I've always said about that is that the word Christian, when applied to anything other than a human being, is a marketing term. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean anything, and and it's not that marketing terms are bad or that they're not helpful. They are helpful. They're very helpful. Um, they because what they do is they help us to find our way to what we wish to consume in culture, marketing terms. They put little signs on things so we can find our way to what we're looking for. That's not a problem. The problem comes the way that most people use the term Christian when applied to things other than people. It tends to mean of all the things, this thing is right, true, good, beautiful, vetted for your spiritual nourishment, whatever it is. The idea being come into our Christian, I'm using air quotes, bookstore and 
consume at will. Just leave your discernment at the door because everything in here is right, true, good, beautiful. It's it's at least more right. The, the presumption, the unspoken pr- promises, it's at least more right or more good or true or beautiful than all that. Now I'm using air quotes, quotes again, secular stuff that's out there. Mm-hmm. So you should consume this instead. Christian education, Christian bubblegum, Christian radio stations, Christian anything is not inherently redeemed, not inherently right or true or good or beautiful. So it's false advertising Um, because it can't be any of those things. Christians are just as Christian artists, Christian retailers, Christian educators are just as likely to lie to you as anybody else. They do not have the market cornered. And I don't think I think C.S. Lewis would agree with this. And so would Francis Schaeffer that um, they don't have the market cornered on things that are right, true, good, or beautiful. Just because a, an arguably redeemed person made something does not make the thing that they made redeemed, good, right, true, without error, without lie, without deception. It doesn't. And so I think it's a really unhelpful category. I, I think people who, because I think that a lot of people use it um, selling safety and security. It's like, when Christian radio stations have billboards that say safe for the whole family, yeah, positive and encouraging. Yeah. It's like, like, first of all, what are you advertising there? Because Jesus certainly was not safe and certainly not for the whole family, but like you're selling something that you have no right to, like you, you don't have the market cornered on it. Um, and oftentimes I've heard a lot of Christian material that just outright mis- misrepresents the character of God, the condition of man. The content's just not correct. I mean, in, in as far as I read the Bible. So I've never liked that term, literally all the way back to Cademans. We 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 would be playing like uh, colleges all over the country in the early 90s. I remember like the first few times we played at Duke and whoever had had us, and I, I, their heart was, I'm sure, was in the right place, but they put on the flyers all over the campus Christian band, Cademan's called. We were brand new, so people didn't know our name, so they were just trying to figure out how to get people to come out. But they put, you know, a Christian band or whatever, and we literally just ran around and grabbed them all off the walls. We're like, "Don't put that, dude!" Like, first of all, we're not, we're, we don't only talk about Christian stuff. Like, mm-hmm. we're just trying to write good folk music. Like, just put it. We're a folk band. Like, if and if people come out, like, why give people a reason on its face to not engage or like what we're doing? Like, why give people a reason with some stupid category that's meaningless? to not listen. Why would you do that? It's not good communication. It's not smart. So I've never identified with that. I mean, like literally in my heyday, I did not identify with that. And to, to turn that around the other way, if if only this type of music is safe for an audience of Christianity or for, for, for followers yeah. or whatever, then then I don't get to talk about pornography. I can't talk about social justice. I can't be like um, the gentleman up in Detroit, uh, or not Detroit, uh, Michigan, uh, NF, that talks about, you know, his mom passing yeah. away and drugs and yeah. addiction. Well, a few things like a good rule of thumb for an artist is anything, I mean, for a Christian, I'm going to use the word air quotes here, but you know, a a Christian who's trying to make art, the rule of thumb, I think a good rule of thumb tends to be whatever Jesus is Lord of, you can write songs about, you can make art about. And I hope that's rhetorical because according to the Bible, he's, he's Lord of all things. But the, the, but the point being, it also like presumes when you talk about Christian people, which is really, again, the only place that I think Christian, the word Christian makes sense if it makes sense. The presumption is that the Christian people are the ones who are going to be in heaven to the exclusion of all the other people. That's the way most Christians talk about it. Mm -hmm. What it presumes by extension is that the Christian music, that this particular little tin of Christian breathments, this is going to be the only Christian stuff in heaven, just like the Christian people. It's such a confusing term. It can't possibly mean what we mean for it to mean. And I'll go even further to say that even with people, the term Christian was, at least anywhere in the Bible or in the first few centuries, was never self-applied. It was it was not a self-prescription. It was a public verdict. People would see Christians, people who were trying to follow Jesus, and they would say, look, there's the Christians. The Christians never marched into town and said, hey, we're the Christian group. That was only ever a public verdict based on watching people's behaviors. The people themselves never self-prescribed it. So to call yourself even, to walk into a room and say, I'm a Christian, is actually very out of step with the first century, first few centuries. 
um, uh, and the time when our, Jesus arguably was was espousing all this. So I think it's tricky. I think that using categories like that can be pretty tricky and typically backfire because it it because it, it's because even more so a word that 10 different people have 10 different definitions for is a meaningless word. Right. And so why, why, why would we use it? Because if you don't have any idea what someone, what pops into somebody's head when you say the word Christian and you walk in and say it before you know what that is, why would you walk in and say it? What, what, what if somebody, what, what if an alien from another planet, the word Christian, where they come from means somebody who eats babies? Well, like <laughs> you walk in, because would you not want to ask, like find that out before you walk in and call yourself one? And I, and it's an extreme example to make the point, but there are a lot of people who have very mixed ideas about what the word Christian means. Most of them are right. Well, I don't know that it's all that extreme. I mean, you have Christians like Westboro Baptist that will protest a funeral. That's precisely right. Or Christians like uh, the moral majority or Christians like, say, That's exactly right. I mean, there's it's all over the place. Yeah. So you're underscoring it. That's right. And so if if people are, are likely or liable or at least have the option to think that you are anyone, you are associated with any one of those groups by the fact that you're using that word, you should probably stop using it. And I'm not because the thing is, there's no power, there's no salvific power in using the word, the, the term Christian to describe yourself. Um, there is no sacredness to it. There's, but a lot of people are like, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm like, dude, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being a smart communicator. I'm talking about not using a word if it literally takes one of your legs or both your legs out going into a conversation. Why would you do that? Yeah. So yeah, I've never liked that term. I don't think that's really the question you were asking me. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. But that's but but when you talk about it in terms of art, I think I just always think it's important to take a minute and and say all that because I think a lot of people just make presumptions. And here's the thing, words matter. Language is important. And I think a lot of people use a word like that in a very cavalier way often to their own sabotage. And so I think it matters, you know, just for people. But if you're asking me if I identify personally as uh, a believer in Jesus, um, at this point in my life, I don't. Um, I, I don't. And so that probably would have been the much simpler. I probably could have just said no. <laughs> well, uh, rather than that 20 minutes. Of, uh, <laughs> had, had you done that, we would not have thought about aliens and Christians who eating babies. Eat babies. That's yeah. exactly right. Which, I mean, what are the chances that they happen to call themselves Christians out on that planet and eat babies? What are the chances? Anyway. Anymore, just always looking for your replacement. I still believe in. Like I believe in just war I think it's possible But maybe just not I have a question about a specific lyric on the airing of grief, and and I want to bridge it in with a, a question about a deconstruction and and just doubt and angst. So you write, and I can't remember which song it is, um, but you say, "So either you aren't real, or I'm just not chosen. Maybe I'll never know. Either way, my heart is broken." And so I hear yeah. that, and I hear a maybe I'm hearing it wrong. Maybe I'm hearing it the way I want to hear it, but. That I'm allowed to do that if I if yes, I buy the if I buy the album. Um, I hear That's that right. and, I, and I and I and right. I hear you questioning any God, not necessarily you know Jesus. So yeah. do you feel like a point of deconstruction, regardless of what your faith is, is unavoidable? Um, that's a great question. And, I, and first, I'd like to say that I realized that that lyric, and so that's in a song called "Goodbye for Now." Um, it's the last song on the record. And, um, what I'll say about it is that it's a very, it's an unusual lyric for me because it's binary. And I don't think in a binary way, I don't think hardly anything is binary. I think that's a way oversimplification. It's the, that's Christian secular. That's binary. 
it's like a switch that moves left to right as opposed to a fluid moving knob that turns every way and is in constant motion. I think that's how most things actually are in reality is mm-hmm. non-binary. It's fluid and moving and turning and a thousand points, granular points between here and there as opposed to one or the other. And, and so it's, de- but I do that occasionally. I do these, I make these binary statements occasionally, and that is definitely one. And sometimes they're not helpful because they're, they're kind of so logically absurd. That one though is how the emotion really feels to me. And I actually think it's interesting that you said that you don't feel like that's a lyric of me questioning a specific God or Jesus so much as kind of God in general or any God. I actually think it is pretty specific because the God of the Bible, at least my reading of the Bible, uh, is the one who does, there is so much language about, um, you know, the way that God governs all things. And um, God, and uh, the way that God does um, save and that it is by grace through faith and that it is his doing and the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's there is a, a choosing on his part. Um, and I, and, I, and, I, and I, I know that's theologically debated in a lot of traditions, and that's not something I particularly want to waste any time thinking about right now. But the point being, it feels as though I'm questioning specifically the God of the Bible there to say, because it, because to me, the, 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 the emotional corner I kept painting myself into trying to figure out what was going on in my life was either the God that I read in the Bible, um, the one that the Westminster Confession describes as governing whatsoever comes to pass, is ultimately the one where the buck stops, is ultimately the one in charge of creation and history and redemption and all things, and is bringing all – is, is uh, br- you know, bringing the kingdom coming to pass and is – um, by Jesus re- reconciling all things to himself. And, you know, th- these are all fuses that he has lit and that he is in charge of and he is governing. And uh, this is his work that he's doing. And if that's the God who's there, then then one of two things really has to be true. Um, that either he's there and that's all true. And I'm just, and my name's just not in the book of life. Uh, I'm just, he, he just, he didn't, I'm just, I'm just, I'm the, I'm in the late, I'm the, I'm in the grave next to Lazarus. Um, and he's called my neighbor out by name to life and I remain dead next door. Either that's what's going on or he's not there. Um, it kind of feels often like it's gotta be one or the other. Now that has to do specifically with the God of the Bible. So either God is not that God, he's not ultimately in charge, um, and someone else is or something else is or he yields his control to the the wills of men and if that's the case then he's not worth worshiping to me um so it also stands to reason just the same way and so to me it's like so either he's either either you're not real or i'm not chosen <laughs> i mean it, it just really comes it kept coming back to that line from me um and either and, and maybe i'll never know either way my heart's broken as i say goodbye for now you know it's like yeah and, and I'm not leaving for good. That whole song, the whole record ends on a five, seven chord. It's the most unresolved anticipatory chord in the whole scale because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not certain. It's just, it's just my suspicion and it's, it's how I feel. But do I think that deconstruction is inevitable? I don't think it's, I think that it is healthy. I think that, um, I think that you cannot discern whether the roots are healthy or even really there, unless you risk killing the plant by pulling it up to examine those roots. I think that that there is a point in people's lives, either due to trauma crisis or just the slow, you know, um, uh, gathering of information about reality and how really cruel and hard it can be, and how often it a- appears more often than not that God's not there, even if you do believe that He is. And but but I think you could say that about the Bible also. I don't think that's unique to our time, but where you have to grab that plant, pull it up out of the ground. Because here's the thing, if the roots are there and they're healthy, you can put that right back in the ground and it survives. If the roots are dead or there is no root under that plant, wouldn't you want to know that? The point is you have to risk killing the thing to find out. You have to pull it up out of the ground. You have to. Otherwise, you're speculating about the roots and you're just looking at the leaves. Mm. Um, and, And that can be manipulated. That can be fake. You can talk yourself into things if you're only looking from the ground up, you got to get down in the, in the soil. Here's another way to say it. I can't write songs, but I want you to write a song that says that. 
with, well, with the roots. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just it's just the, how my mind works. But like the, another example is like you can't you can't be you can't look at the boat you're in and assess its veracity and assess whether or not it's equal to the waves and the water it can hold you. You cannot truly do that while you're in it. You can't be in the boat and also give an honest account of of its strength and its veracity. You can't. You either have to get out of the boat and have a look at it. It's like shit. Is that a boat? Was is that what I was in? That thing does that didn't look like a boat. I, I'm a, I'm can't believe I was in that for so long. I mean that thing was going to tip over any second. Yeah. So either you have to intentionally get out or you hit such a big wave. So let's call that trauma or something that you get thrown out of the boat. And while you're up in the air in free fall, you can look down at the boat. You can have a look at it. And you're on your way maybe back down into the boat. You're going to land back in it at some point. Maybe you're going to land in the water. But it's not till you get some distance and detachment from it that you can really assess if it can hold you and, and what it's made of. And I think that that can be what deconstruction is. You know, deconstruction often and should lead to reconstruction, right? But reconstruction does not presuppose that God or Jesus or all that is going to be there. I think a lot of people have said to me, you know, people who I think really care, and but they've said, man, I just can't wait for you to finally turn the corner and come back to reconstruction now that you've done this deconstruction. I'm like, I've actually been fully reconstructed for several years. I don't know what you mean. And what they mean is back to their beliefs, uh, things that they believe to be true. The uh, a, a worldview, a grid through which I'm looking at the world that includes God and Jesus, which mine does not. Um, and I don't think has to, in order to, to be technically reconstruction, but, um, yeah, I think it's healthy to do it. I think people should do it. I don't know. And I, I think maybe it is inevitable. I mean, I'm only in my forties, but I think maybe everyone does eventually get to a point, uh, who's committed to a belief regardless, regardless of that belief to deconstruct it and to really feel the need to have a look at it. Um, and sometimes that leads people to a belief in Christianity and some people it leads people out. Um, but I think either way it's healthy. I think it's necessary. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. I do think it's healthy and I think it's necessary. And I know in my case, uh, the, the faith that I have now is more informed, yes, entirely more graceful, uh, more inclusive and less hateful than the, yes. the faith that I had, you know, growing up in Midland, Texas. I am, yeah, man. I am, yeah. I am curious, being that you have uh, either had something happen to you, obviously, uh, as people listen to your albums, and, and I don't want to retread any of that here. I don't sure. think it would be conducive to that. But you've been you've you've been allowed the distance to deconstruct. And so, with that being said, when you go to play a concert, are you even able to sing your old songs anymore? Yeah, it's a good question. Because I I, and... I lead worship at my church, and sometimes I struggle with some of the songs because sure. I don't believe in the words. Yes, absolutely. And you know what I do? I do play the old songs and, but I give like a, like a disclaimer every night after early in the show and basically says that being a professional autobiographer is tricky business. And because what happens is if you're doing your job right, and again, the job is to look at the world, describe it. If you're doing your job right, you run the very real and probable risk of over time writing songs that you for sure no longer agree with or relate to. That's just what's going to happen because you know, like what, what healthy person can you imagine uh, could, uh, would believe the exact same thing that they believed two, five, 10, 20 years ago. That's a person coming into no new information. Um, like I don't think it's healthy to, to, to literally learn nothing and to, and to in no way alter your beliefs. So even if you're doing not, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, macro evolution in terms of your belief, but just micro, you're just, like you said, you're just kind of finding your way to a more plausible or more tolerant version of something more loving, more inclusive version of something. Even that's pretty different than what you, where you might've been, even if you're not, you know, wholesale giving it up and believing something totally different, you're still a completely different man than you were a few years ago. And you could stand in a place, try to describe the world and the world that you see will be totally different. You will be totally different. And therefore the document of what you make will be completely different. Um, but the, I think that's healthy. And so what I usually say is while I may not 
relate to or believe the words in some of the songs I may sing in any given night at a concert, I will sing them anyway. And the reason is because, um, again, while I might not be or relate to the man who wrote them, I do trust him. I trust that when he was looking at the world, knowing what he knew, trying to do his job to, exp- to describe it for us, I think he did the best job that he could. And I will therefore cover his material. But to rest assured that that's what I'm doing, I'm covering another man's material. And the thing is, that's what I'd be doing regardless. Like by the time I put Mockingbird out, I was covering the material of the man who wrote all the Cademan songs Mm -hmm. and who wrote She Must and Shall Go Free. By the time I put Stockholm Syndrome out, I was covering the material of the man who wrote Mockingbird. So it's like, because I was no longer that man. I didn't see the world exactly the same way. And I'm just doing the same thing now. And so my performing of any song is not a, presum- a presumption of my believing any of its content. And so, and, and honestly, it's not just me. Like you said, that happens to you. And I think that happens to any artist who's doing their job well. Um, and so anybody who you like, any thought, any, any writer that you follow, any artist you follow, that's what they're doing too. Now, they might pretend that they believe it all, but really they, they don't, not completely. And if they do, then either they're not, they've not been honest with you along the way or it's just not the kind of music I listen to. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I, so I will absolutely, because ultimately as a, as an artist, what I hope to do is provide emotional soundtrack for people. I'm so grateful for somebody to call out a song that was on my first record, my third record, any of those early records. If it means something to them, if they've populated it with their own emotional furniture, they've made it part of their own emotional soundtrack. That means so much to me that, that we've had, we have that point of connection. It's not about me. It's I got to take myself out of that equation because that song, like that wasn't about me a minute after I finished writing it. Um, it's, it's everyone else's. So it's like, it doesn't matter how I feel about it. You know, there are a lot more people. And cause again, I'm detached from it now. I'm not the man who wrote it. So what it means to you is as meaningful as what it means to me. Cause I'm not even the, it's not even mine anymore. I don't even feel, you know, especially connected to it. So to me, it's like, I think there's a lot of artists who kind of hate their, their hits or, I mean, I don't have hits, but they hate their, their old material. They hate, I'm so grateful, man. I mean, I've been in this job for 20 something years. Like if somebody calls out a song, I'm so grateful that I've written something that means something to them. Mm -hmm. I'll perform any song they want. And I'm not going to, bitch and moan and give them some weird disclaimer about that particular song. And, ah, oh, this song's so dumb and I can't believe I wrote it. And I, I don't mean, I just, you know, it's yeah. so stupid and, and I'm not incorrect. It. Don't ask again. Yeah. I'm not going to make you feel terrible <laughs> or like embarrass you for calling the sound. I'm going to deeply thank you and I'm going to perform it. You know, this is what I do. So. Yeah. One of the things, and, and I just thought of this, I didn't, I didn't write it down. And so I might not say it the way I intend to. I think one of the things that strikes me as I sit here and, and while you're speaking, thinking about the songs that you've written that have impacted me, I think what strikes a dissonant chord with me about Fingers Crossed is your guitar sounds like the 20-year-old you, but your the digital and the voice and the lyrics sound like the new you. And so uh-huh. there's a constant tension when I hear the music of right. my old me and my new me and maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't think right. I am, but there's something there. And I, I feel like it's on the very first album or very first track of the album. There's like a, a synthetic drum beat and then a folk acoustic guitar put on top of that. And it shouldn't work, but it does. Right. Y- yeah. No, I really, I really appreciate you saying so. And yeah, I for sure, you know, creatively try to use every part of the Buffalo. So I make very intentional choices about, I mean, I want, when you hear a record, I don't think a lot of folk music or a lot of singer songwriter music does this well. And that's why I'm not super into singer songwriter music on the whole, but like it, it, what it doesn't do is use every part of the Buffalo in terms of, and hip hop does it very well. Punk music does it very well. When you just hear the beginnings of the music and you already have the feeling that the song's about what, before you even hear the first lyric, you already have the feeling. You already know emotionally where you're going and where you are. And like I, because I had to alter the sound of Fingers Crossed early on in my producing it because I realized that um, the, I, that, I thought that was going to be more of like an electric guitar record and a whole other, I had a whole other sound in my head. But as I started to finish the songs and record them, I just realized 
you know what? These songs need to be on this instrument and they need to sound like this. It needs to be soft and gentle and, and like a juxtaposition. It needs to have really um, aggressively distorted drums along with very sensitively quiet nylon string guitar. Like it needs to be a real, because that's the emotion of what I was feeling. It was anger and, and, and aggression and frustration and desperation and sadness. And I needed to hold all that together musically. And sometimes it comes off really weird and people, it gives people a weird, uneasy feeling. Guess what? That's exactly what it's designed yeah, to do. That's the point. You're, yeah. you're supposed to feel, and there is all over the record, a lot of very dissonant chord changes and chords that are very dissonant in and of themselves. That's because you're supposed to kind of cock your head a little bit when you're listening because you're supposed to feel a little weird because those emotions feel a little weird. Um, and I felt a little weird about the whole thing. And so I want you to feel before you even hear the lyric or the melody, I want you to feel what that emotion felt like. And so if you can do it with the music, you should, you know, and so yeah, I always make choices like that on records. And I, and I think I also did like the irony of bringing some of those sounds, those acoustic sounds onto a record like this, considering what I know the connotations, or at least I know what the connotations are for me of those sounds, just hearing those sounds mm -hmm. under my voice rather than it being a purely electronic thing, which is also would also be the temptation. So yeah, I'm very aware of that, you know, when I'm making records. Well, well, I have, I appreciate it, but I don't know that that someone that just bought Fingers Crossed would get that. But that doesn't negate the album oh, for not. them, and that's fine. It doesn't negate the album for them. Um, I will say right. for those listening, and I don't necessarily want to go into it here in the interest of time. Um, for another really good example of a song that messes with you, um, the spirit bears the curse. Mm. I had that in the car, and I thought it was going somewhere, <laughs> and. Um, and it and it's fine. I, I enjoy a play on words. I did not know that it was going where it was going, but but, but right. uh, it didn't negate anything. It 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 made the whole song made more sense. But either way, either way, that's huh. that's that's a tangent. Yeah, there's a, there's a little. Uh, it's kind of the M Night Shyamalan of uh, of pop songs. You, you get to the end, and you, when you realize what it was about the whole time, you got to go back to the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I see spirit people. For lack, yeah, of better, exactly. for lack of a better poor analogy. Um, uh, Derek, uh, we are running out of time and, and I want to give you uh, just a vehicle to, uh, for those that don't know, Derek has a side project as well called The Airing of Grief. And so you'll yeah. hear a lot of really, really good conversations uh, specifically about grief and doubt and, and everything else with that. Derek, are those people that just call in and leave you a voicemail or are you talking with them or how does that work? Right. So Aaron Grief is the podcast that came out of the record. I mean, basically, I put the record out. The response that I was getting back from the record, people commenting about the record, their, their reply, their, what they were saying was not actually about the record. It was about them wanting to tell their own stories of spiritual deconstruction, reconstruction, whatever. Like, so them hearing me do it, since that's what the record is really about. It's my my story kind of was inspiring people to, to tell their own stories. And so I realized quickly, like, oh, wow, like, I, you know, there is a real bottleneck here of people who really want to tell their stories and, and feel very alone. They feel like they're all alone. And the second they feel like there's someone else with them, they want to start talking. And, and, you know, and I, you know, and I tend, I try to be sensitive to things like that. And I try to kind of keep my eyes peeled for opportunities like that. And so what I decided is like, Either this can be some uh, can light the fuse on some, you know, awkward and and um, uh, unintentional kind of conversations on social media and stuff about spirituality, and that'd be okay, I guess. I mean, not really. It, it never goes well. Or could we do more? Is there something we could do that could be more meaningful and organize it to the benefit of other of a lot of other people? Um, in order that they don't feel alone also. And so what we decided to do was th that's where the podcast was born. And essentially what it is, is what I decided to do was just to make myself available to talk to people if they wanted to talk about spiritual and reconstruction, to tell their stories and set up a, a thing. And this is actually how we're in our second season now, but it's how it still works right now. You basically go to our website, theairingofgrief.com. You could go there and you just schedule a 10 minute call. And we, and it's just like this, we get on Skype. 
and you've got, you know, around 10 minutes and we just talk and, and we record, I record them and we, 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 uh, we, we make it anonymous. We take your name out, we bleep your name out of it. But, um, and then we just air those calls. Um, and, and the thing is your grief can be with God. It can be with the institution of the church. It can be with the congregation of the church. It can be with your, your, your parents and your upbringing. It can be with us and me. I mean, you know, I've had people call in just to try to kind of evangelize me or to be angry with me that I have left <laughs> them, you know, in the middle of a journey that we've been on together for a long time. And that's also fair. Whatever it is, you've got 10 minutes. Let's talk, you know. And and then what we do is we we curate those by topic and put them together as like kind of 30, 40 minute episodes. And so it's kind of the air because for everyone who would be willing to, and we also, people can write us letters and then we read those, um, also anonymize those, but, and, you know, cause for every person who would write in or call, there are 10, 20, 50 people who would never do that, but would be deeply comforted in hearing their story articulated by someone else in as far as it makes them feel not alone in going through it. And so often the thing that makes you feel nuts is not the deconstruction, the deconstructive process, the going through that can often feel pretty liberating um, and really good and really healthy. It's the feeling alone and isolated in it that makes you feel crazy. Mm -hmm. And so that's the part we want to address. And that's really because become the theme of this whole kind of season of my career is just for me, for my friends who I do the podcast with, it's what we needed. We felt very alone in going through it. And we, we started doing to it. A lot of people felt alone, but notice that statement. A lot of people felt alone. So like, how can we recongregate around the conversation in a safe way? And that's what we started doing. And so that's what the podcast is. And it's, uh, so we're in our second season now, anywhere you go looking for podcasts, it's just the airing of grief and the airing of grief.com. And you can schedule a call or write a letter and have a conversation with us about it. Like you can be on it. It's yours. I mean, it's, um, we just hold the space for people who want to tell their stories and, uh, to the benefit, you know, of, of the people who might hear them. And that's what it is. And I'd love for people. And we, we have certainly logged a lot of hours talking about these very things. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's been an incredible experience for me personally, you know, to, it's been honoring to hear these stories from people and hear what people have gone through. And some of them gone through really, really hard things and persisted and fought to still believe. And I believe them and their stories are remarkable. And I can't imagine how they manage to still believe, but they do or stay in their communities, their faith communities, but they do. Other people have no particular reason and it just doesn't really resonate with them anymore. And they, and they leave and everything in between. So it's what I love about it for me is talk about binary to granular, binary to, to fluid. It's like, it makes me realize just how nuanced this really is. It's not just people who are all in in the church and people who are all out, you know, the atheists, the agnostics, it's like, nah, man, there are, ev there's every story in between. I, I did a hundred calls just for season one. Like I've had a lot of these conversations with people and you wouldn't believe, I mean, some really brave people, some really hurt people, some people have been through some really hard things, but they're all over the map. I mean, many of them, and that's a lot of the conversation we have. In fact, I've talked to a lot of people out of leaving the faith because it would be intellectually dishonest for them to do so, in my opinion, because their complaint is with the institution of the church or with the congregation of the church, but not with the, the in other words, there are always, there's at least three things that we're deconstructing when we, when we talk about deconstructing. It's the, in, the political social institution of the church, the, the movement. There is the, the, the assembly of all the people who practice Christianity, the congregation of people, other people. And then there's the idea of an all-powerful, all-good other who made all things, uh, God. Mm -hmm. Those are three completely separate things. And you could need to get the hell away from two of them, but still be cool with the third or, or vice versa. Um, and any combo. And there's probably even more than just the three. But those are the, the main three that we've identified. And it's like you might need to stick it out. Like maybe – I hear you really still believing that God is there and for you. And I would pay attention to that and follow that. You might just need to, you know, like, it's like, I think maybe it's Tim Keller or somebody, you know, and I'm sure I adapted this phrase, but I feel like I say it a lot, which is that some gods deserve atheists. Mm. And, you know, I've never because, heard that. yeah, I mean, I, some gods deserve atheists, man. And it's like, and it, and it feels like you even said something like this earlier, like the God who you believed in that was not loving, that was not tolerant of certain things, that was not, 
that God needed you, that needed, that made an atheist out of you for that God. And so you, and, and even, uh, Richard, you know, Dawkins talks about this. He says that everyone rejects the majority of the gods in culture, Zeus, you know, I mean, consumerism, maybe he just goes one God further. Yeah. He's a very, you know, he's obviously a famous atheist, but, um, but we're all atheists to a lot of things. And some gods deserve atheists because they're not there. And sometimes you have to be an atheist to one God to hold space for the real God who is there to show up. Um, and so I'd say, I, I think, all these conversations are important. And I, and I've talked to people in every part of that spectrum. Um, and it's been really good, you know? And so I don't want people to think that they're only going to hear about people who are on the other side of it, who have left it, or even suspect that we're trying to talk people into it. We certainly aren't. If anything, we're, we're, we're sometimes doing the opposite. We just want to have the conversation. Um, yeah. cause I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Where else can people interact with you, Derek? Where else would you point people to? Obviously, we got your website. We've got your music. Um, that's DerekWeb.com, correct? DerekWeb.com, yeah. And, and anywhere you go looking is just at Derek Webb, you know, D-E-R-E-K-W-E-B-B, all social media and all that, whatever. Good, 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 good. Well, I will give you back the rest of your morning. Um, oh, well, it was a pleasure to <laughs> so, talk to you. Yeah, you as well, Derek. Deconstruction is not an inherently bad thing. Grief, doubt, angst, fear, regret is not inherently bad and probably is good. And without it, what really kind of faith do you have? You're just repeating what you've been told. Your faith is not your own, as Scripture pretty much implies and tells us in many places you need to have an answer for the faith that you believe in and that you profess. And you can't just parrot someone else's ideas. And so I hope that this conversation with Derek was as helpful to you as it was with me. I never really thought about every God needs an atheist. That is, I'm going to have to sit on that for a while, if I'm honest. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your coworkers. The bigger the community, the better. The music that you've heard interwoven throughout this episode is from Fingers Crossed from Derek Webb. It is a great album, especially for those of you that are having these same struggles. Uh, but be prepared to be pushed a bit as you listen to it, and that is 127,000% okay. You'll find the specific songs on the Spotify playlist, Can I Say This at Church? Friend, if your eyes can see what's killing me